All right. So, Men of Destiny um, is our is our topic um, today. What does that mean, uh, being a man of destiny? Um, so, I have three objectives um, that I wanted to share with you just for this topic, and then I'm going to bridge into a specific series that we're going to do in this time. But it is not just going to be a time where you're hearing me only minister. Um, there will be a time of interaction where we will get strength from one another because part of the thing that makes um, that makes the the journey the journey um, effective is the fellowship that we have with one another. Right? If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another fellowship with each other, and then the blood cleanses us from all sin. So that has something to do with your walk. That has something to do with the relationships you have and the strength from them. And then it has something to do with the covenant connection that we all have and the covenant cleansing that we all have through the blood of Jesus. All right, so three objectives. Three objectives. Number one is to introduce the men of destiny system that was pioneered by my late father in the faith, Bishop Ben Jabert, um, who was formerly senior pastor of uh, Detroit World Outreach um, in Redford, Michigan. Number two, to illuminate the 12 core principles that undergird men of destiny. And then three, to initiate a teaching and fellowship track around the foundational men of destiny teachings. All right. So there's some foundational teachings that we'll go through. We'll talk to you about this men of destiny system. Now that's not what he called it. He called it men of valor, but I'm destiny generation. So I'm calling it the way God gave me to call it in Jesus name. Um, but the, the principles are solid and there are things that I am asking you to um, to really wrestle with as we talk about them and then begin to assess yourself and say, Lord, am I, you know, is this something that I can give my life to? Like, like one of the reasons why I put things like this on the wall is so that um, that was a principle of my father that your walls need to talk. That was his principle. One of the things he taught me. And there was passages in, in, um, in, in the book of Deuteronomy that, that was the undergirding from a scriptural standpoint that said, hey, you know, um, write the vision, write the law and put it on your walls and on your doorposts and things like that. And so but the, but the, the, the real the real purpose of that is so that when people come in, a even when we're quiet, they're still getting insight. Right. Even when I'm quiet. You can still get God can speak to you, number one. And then number two, so that you can see them and begin to wrestle with them to the point of understanding how they can impact your life. And so that's the challenge that I'm going to really specifically be challenging today is around that whole piece of. Um, around that whole piece of taking, you know, these 12 core principles we're going to talk you through. Lord, what does that mean for me? And so. Um, in the in the session after uh, we go off the broadcast, uh, Brother Jonathan is going to really have some time where you guys pray together and talk about, man, what do these things mean to me? Man, this is when Pastor David was saying this. This is what I got out of it. This is what the Lord is telling me. And then 
I believe that that conversation is going to be as powerful as what God has given me to tell you right now. I believe that there's more to be gotten in what you said than just coming and hearing what I have to say, all right? And then finally, to initiate a teaching and fellowship track. That's what I mean when I say teaching and fellowship, that there will be some time when we have a formal time of assessing the word. Why do we do that? Because that's the way Jesus did. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you don't get it all just by listening to somebody else talk about it. You've got to then wrestle with the thought um, and then ask the Lord, what, it, what are you telling me to take home? And then there's something about making a declaration to one another that keeps your commitment strong. Like if I tell myself something, then if I backslide, ain't nobody know it but me. But once I tell you, then I, I have a, <laughs> I don't want to let myself, I don't want to let, let down my brothers. I don't, my accountability kicks in. That's why I don't like to work out by myself. There's nothing wrong with working out by yourself. I just know me and I know it's better if I have somebody that I'm expecting to meet there that I'm going to, my commitment is stronger. Now, now I know if you, if you all internally solid and you can do it all by yourself, God bless you. But God designed the church so that we could strengthen each other until he returns. And so it's not just teaching. The fellowship and teaching is important. And that's why, you know, the shift is, is really important. You know, we, we've done some things, if you look at over the last year, that I would, I would argue um, for some of us, this has been the strongest our prayer life has ever been. Okay? And getting clarity on how to pray and having consistency in prayer, and having intimacy where we can pray together as men and really discuss things and really open up and share with God in a safe environment where somebody's not judging you and able to strengthen you and even, even to have somebody able to check you. I mean, because part of having good brothers, you know, because sometimes, man, I don't want nobody in my business. You need somebody in your business. Your business ain't going good by itself. You need some help. And having an environment where you can get that and still people still give you the help and then respect you after the help is given and not hold, hold it over your head like, you know, you's always going to be down wherever you were down is an important part of being a man of destiny. Because we see people like... Our responsibility as men is to see people like the um, like the Good Samaritan saw the man on the side of the road, beaten and half dead, and to help them get recuperated and get back on their destiny path to life. Right? That's part of our assignment as as a body of believers. All right. So I got two core scriptures. The first is 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 16 through 22. Now, um, Bishop's, Bishop's text was the second one, but this is the one that God gave me. And um, his core revelation on men of destiny came from a study that he had done on what... Um, what scripture would call David's mighty men, not Pastor David, but King David, the one that's in the Bible. Hallelujah. And um, 
he specifically spent time in 2 Chronicles, excuse me, 2 Samuel 23, which is our second scripture. So just out of, you know, deference to him, then I want to spend some time with this one. But I have specifically prayed parts of 1 Chronicles chapter 12 around David's mighty men over this congregation. This is a part of my regular prayer time. This is a part of the regular things that I pray over. I don't even just pray it over the men. I pray it over the congregation because I believe, you know, there's scripture and, um, and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, um, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Um, Bishop Gideon Thompson came and he helped me to understand the nuance on it. In other words, if you find a biblical promise, rightly divided, you know, put in its proper place in this time frame, right? That's why I spend as much time as your pastor walking you through the covenant succession from the Abrahamic covenant to the blessing of the Mosaic, not the whole thing, the blessing part of the Mosaic covenant to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. I walked you all the way through that because if I can find a promise that comes through that right filter, I can I can believe for it to be mine today because all the promises of God in him are yes. But the amen part, the so be it part doesn't come from heaven. The so be it part comes from you. He can say yes, and you not say amen. Okay? That's what we were talking about in our series on hope, that hope is both what God promised and what you desire, where those two meet. God can promise it up here, but you only desire down here. Then he, can has, he has to bring what he gives you down to what you desire. And we gave the example of Lazarus, who had the same covenant of Abraham as the rich man, but only desired crumbs. And he became a Christian crumb snatcher. Even though he could have had everything that, well, the rich man went to hell because he was rich. Abraham was rich. He didn't go to hell. All right. So, um, so I read this stuff from David and I'm like, man, this is the stuff I want in my life. And this is the stuff that I'm praying and believing for and want in the church. Let's look at it. First Chronicles chapter 12, 16 through 22. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. And David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, if you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Verse 18, then the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, we are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers for your God helps you. So David received them, made them captains of the troop. Let's stop right there for a second. Okay, so the first thing that the first thing that I pray for is that the Holy Spirit come on the people that God sends me like they came, like it came up on a Masai to help me. There is an anointing. There is a spiritual gift called helps, H-E-L-P-S. First Corinthians chapter 12. There's a gift called helps. 
it's a spiritual gift and it's a gift that you get from the Holy Spirit because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about Holy Spirit empowered gifts. This man came to David. He was already a person of stature and authority. He was a captain. He already he was already large and in charge in his own right. But the spirit came upon him to help David complete the vision that God gave him. So that's one of the things that I confess over you. All right, let's look at verse 19. And some of the some from Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the with the Philistines to battle against Saul, but they did not help them for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement saying he may defect to his master Saul and endanger our heads. All right, verse 20 says, when he went to Ziklag, those of Manasseh who defected to him were Adna, Josabed, Jadiel, Michael, Josabed, Elihu, Zelethiah, captains of the thousands who were from Manasseh. Pastor David, why do you always try to pronounce the names? If my name was in the Bible, I'd want you to read it. I'm just saying. Verse 21. And they, now verse 21 is another point of confession and prayer that I make over the congregation. And they helped David against the bands of raiders, for they were almighty men of valor, and they were captains in the army. They were men of might, spiritual strength. They were men of courage, and they were captains in the army. That means that they weren't... They were, they were, he was leading people who were leaders in their own right. That's me trying to disciple you so that you can go into your world and disciple others. Because we believe that that's the way we're going to multiply as a congregation. We're not going to multiply just because everybody who's out there, you tell them, come here, your pastor. Nothing wrong with telling them, come here, your pastor. Your pastor's a good man. I know him. Okay. I'm telling you that we're going to multiply because the word that I teach you, you have wrestled with it enough to where you can understand it. And at your own level, in your own words, in your own circle, you can bring other people and then you can tell them, listen, let me tell you the things that I learned about being a man of destiny. And they're going to say, man, I want some of that. Okay, I'll teach you some. Hey, let's, let's meet on our lunch break. Let's okay, we, we have lunch at 11, let's, let's sit down and have lunch. And over this next few weeks, I'm gonna reach, man, that was so good, I want some more. Well then follow me to church on Sunday. I can, there's more, I can take you to the mother low, baby. But you're going to be the captain in your own right. All right, now verse 22 is the verse that really is my dream verse. This is the one that I just, I prayed this thing so many times, I can't even count the number of times that I pray this. For at that time, they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. Whew. I feel some, <laughs> if William O. Jr. was in there, he would say, I feel that one in my shanana. I mean, I feel that one right there. That's what I'm believing for. I'm asking God, listen, listen, listen. I feel like um, some days I feel like Moses. Mo God, you gave me this great assignment, but you didn't tell me who was going to come help me to get it done. 
I write a vision down like this to raise up a light of spiritual, social, and economic empowerment that brings transformation to an entire city. Who going to help me get that done? And then I come back to this scripture day by day. They're coming to help me. Till it's a great army like the army of God. You are the first recruits. Hallelujah. Welcome. All right. So we're all going through boot camp, but we're going through this to the point that we can multiply and fulfill the assignment. Look at our second core scripture. And this was Bishop Jabert's scripture, um, 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 25. Yep. And I'm going to read it all. Why are you reading it all? Because it was important to him. It's important to me. I'm going to read this thing. I mean, you know, if your name was in the Bible and it was difficult to pronounce, you wouldn't want nobody skipping past it. I'm just saying. All right. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Jeshev Bassabeth, the Tachmanite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Adino, the name really means um, tall, slender, trim, like his sword. The name meant that he was just like his sword. Okay. Um, why was that important? Um, that was important to my bishop because his first ministry was called the Dino Ministries, and it came from this passage of scripture. Right. So he he with his with his sword, he became one with his weapon and killed 800 men at once. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for the battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. Now, of course, when we think about the sword, we think about the sword of the spirit being the word of God, right? We have weapons too, it's just different ones. Pastor, you got a you got a ceremonial sword, yeah, but I'm not trying to cut nobody with it. Okay, we're talking about being victorious in our life. Verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where it was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Raphim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said, with longing... Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So that so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of the Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These three, these things were done by the three mighty men. So he said, this water 
They paid for it with their lives, so he poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Verse 18, that, that, meant, that meant he he didn't minimize the sacrifices of his men, right? Sometimes preachers can be so flippant with what people have sacrificed to give them. David didn't have that spirit. He, he stopped and said, hold it, hold it. This one is so holy, I can't even do this because it represents their very life. And so he said, God, this is just, this is too holy for me to consume. Not because they had got it from some temple. Not because they had, they had went to the tabernacle or the, the Ark of the Covenant and there was water flowing out of it. But they had given their lives to support their leader. And he valued their life to the point where he said, this is just too valuable. God, you got to have this one. Verse 18, now Abish, Abishai, the son of Joab, excuse me, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. He lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Verse 20 says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabziel, who had done many deeds. So he says, this man was a man of valor, and his daddy was too. Oh, they were a destiny generation. So one dad, his dad was a man of spiritual strength and, and stature, and the son took on the same grace of the father. That's what we want. Listen, I want my sons to be stronger than I am spiritually. I want them to know everything I know about God, and I don't want them to start off and have to go back to ground zero. Right? Their new ground zero should be for me, you know, the 10th floor. They should be building from there, not going all the way back to the bottom, having to start over. All right? He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Verse 21, and he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. That sounds like what David did to Goliath, didn't it? Verse 22, these things Benaiah, the son of Jehuiada, did and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shema, the Herodite. Elika, the Herodite. All right. Um, Ten, ten observations on men of destiny. Number one, they came from anywhere and everywhere. Two, they were committed to dealing with strongholds from their past and generational curses. All right? So if there's stuff in your family, you know, all, all of the men in your family, you know, were womenizers and never, you know, stay with their, their wife, then... If you're going to be a man of destiny, you're going to say that stuff stops in my generation. 
If all, if before you, everybody went to prison or, you know, was always broke, busted, and disgusted, or never won the battle to, to be healthy. Your challenge is that in your lifetime, that stuff stops with you. That's what we mean when we talked about dealing with strongholds from the past and dealing with generational curses too. They do what it takes to deal with strongholds even if it seems to be under control. Some people, they are managing their addictions. Just because, okay, I, I don't drink, you know, I'm not sloppy drunk and I can still carry a job, but I socially drink, but I know I can't turn it off. Then a man of destiny says, I got to deal with that, even though it's not, even though it hasn't torn my life down, it's still important for me to address it. All right. Number four, they were not too proud to do what works and has worked for others. You know, sometimes men feel like, well, I got to be my own man. And listen, no, nobody don't want you to be your own man. But just because you are your own man doesn't mean you have to make your own mistakes. Don't buy a lesson I already paid for. Yeah. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit promises. Number five, they were committed to the vision and provision for their spiritual leadership. They poured out. He needed something. They would go and get it. Pastor David, you're only saying this because you're a pastor. Listen, listen, listen. When they was hating on, um, you know, Creflo Dollar because he was, you know, wanting a $65 million jet. And listen, uh, and everybody was all in uproar. I was watching Good Morning America, and they was all talking about somebody's jet. Listen, I was like, I'm the wrong one. I gave $2,000 for, for Brother Copeland to get his $20 million jet, and then I probably gave another $1,000 to Leroy Thompson to pay off his jet. I'm the wrong person to, if you hating on somebody because they got and I don't even have one. And, it's, and then I'm reading the comments. I don't know why I read these knuckleheads' comments. Why do you read that stuff? Well, there's a sucker born every day. And I'm like, God, I'm going to keep on sucking then, bro, because I know that there's power in my life that has come because I'm committed to the vision and provision of my spiritual leadership. That's, I'm not telling y'all to do it because it's a gig, a gimmick, or a game. I'm doing this because this is the way I have gained in my own life, and I know that if you do it, it'll work for you. All right? Number six, their hand is stuck on the word of God. Okay? Yeah. That thing about the word that God is showing me, listen, I'm going to stay with that scripture until in, in John 8, 30 through 32, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you be my disciples indeed. And then that, the part that people quote is, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But they never quote the part about, I got to continue with that thing long enough to get to freedom. Their hand isn't stuck to it, and that's why it doesn't work. All right? Number seven, they stuck to the word even when everyone else gave up. 
listen, listen. The last thing I want to do, if I if, if everything's about to fall down, the one thing I want to do, listen, I want to go out this world swinging the word. If the doctor came and told me, you only have one month to live, on day number 30, I'm going to be breaking open some scriptures. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 2 Timothy, was talking about, was, was given his final letter to his principal spiritual son before Nero was about to cut off his head. And he said, make sure you bring me the scrolls, the parchments. Bring me, bring me some scriptures to, so I can do my final Bible lesson before my head get cut off. Why? Because he wanted to go to head, he wanted to go to heaven speaking the word. The last thing I did when my dad had gone into a coma, he had given me his final instructions. And when he could not speak it himself, I stood over his bed and I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Why? Because I wanted him to go into heaven with nothing else but the word of God. A man of destiny has that kind of mindset. Verse eight, or excuse me, number eight, verse eight, number eight. Adino practiced to the point that he was one with his weapon. Listen, when you when you in a if you got a battle that you're fighting, the scriptures that you're standing on and that battle that's really that's really a battle for you, you shouldn't have to you, you should have spent enough time with those scriptures to the point where they come out of you. If I woke you up in the middle of the night, threw cold water on you. And I said, what's that scripture? You should be able to quote it out because you have spent that much time in it. It's one with you. One of the things you do in, in, in um, for those that are in the military, I'm not. This is what I heard. So please don't, don't play or hate veterans. Don't play or hate. I'm not, I'm not hating on you. I'm just using your example. I am told that people that have been through boot camp even though they've been out of the military for years, if they had to, they could take apart and put a machine gun together. Their M16, they could take it apart and put it together because they understood that they, they were trained to do that in the dark of night under adverse conditions in the middle of muddy fields. They were with bullets flying over their head, not practice rounds, real bullets. They were being trained to be one with their weapon. That's how you should be with the word of God. You in a battle for your health, them, them healing scriptures can't be like, um, okay, what scripture you stand for? Let me go grab my Bible. See, you about to get hurt. You're not one with your weapon yet. Now, listen, no one starts out that way. Everybody's got to take and put the time in. I'm telling you that you just need to put the time in. In other words, um, don't take an overnight bag on the road to becoming a man of destiny. Don't take an overnight bag because this is going to be longer than an overnight trip. Take the time that it takes. Number nine, Adino, remember we saw Adino kill 800, but he didn't kill them all at the same time. He knew who to kill first. See, that's, that's why I confess at the end of services when I'm doing closes, 
Your enemy shall come out against you one way and flee in all seven directions. That means God's going to show you who to hit. Okay, I can't kill. Like, ever had a time, be strategic, yes. Have you ever had a time when it seemed like you had problems on every hand? What I tell people, listen, all problems are not created equal. God, show me which is the first one I need to fight. And then what's next after that? Everybody tries to go off and shoot everything, you know, with the sawed-off shotgun and just scatter gun. God, God, God wants to show you as a man of destiny, here's the one thing you need to be focused on right now. And while you're focused on that, you're going to ignore other problems that are still there, but you're not going to deal with them yet until you get that first one down. But when you get done, you can have 800 of them down like Adino did. Finally, they were willing to work for and in their position of authority. They became captains because they had earned it on the field of battle. Right? Some people want, they want to be just given positions because we like you. No, man. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I paid a cost to be the boss. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just standing. <laughs> Listen. I'm not standing here just because apostle liked me and because I'm her flesh and blood son. But I didn't just have, I didn't just work for the position. Now that I'm in the position, I'm still working. That's what I'm, that's, a, that's, that's a mindset that a man of destiny has. God, whatever you want to give me, I'm going to work for it. And once I got it, I'm going to still work in it. Don't you hate it? When you see marriages fall apart because a man worked for the woman to get her, but then he won't work with her now that he got her. Don't stop pursuing your wife because she married you. You need to still work. You still need to, <laughs> you still need to seduce her every now and again. It's okay. Your pastor said it was okay. You married her. All right, that's Revelation for a different day. <laughs> All right. What is, what is uh, men, men of destiny? What is men of destiny? Men of destiny is a men's ministry based on the revelation of Bishop Benjamin and the core insights he had and began to minister at Detroit World Outreach from 1999 until his transition. The objective was always to raise up a national men's ministry network that recognized common traits, strengthened their local church, led their families, and impacted their communities. So that, that dovetails great with our mission to raise up a light of spiritual, social, and economic empowerment that brings transformation. All right? Men of Destiny is designed to provide a vehicle for men in the body of Christ to develop undeniable manifestation of personal purpose, priorities, and kingdom power. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I want, I want you to be, when people say, man, I'm a part of Men of Destiny, what does that mean? I have purpose. I know what my priorities. I know what to seek first. I know what I need to do next. I know where my wife is. I know where my children is. I know where my job is. I know where my family is. I know where my fun time is. And fun time, you need to have it. But it can't be out of order. Right? And kingdom power. It, it was also is created to provide opportunities for discipleship and growth through a system of commitment and recognition. You becoming personally committed, and then we recognize, and okay, man, this is a man of commitment. And then there was there's levels of commitment, et cetera, that's embedded in it. Amen? Okay, 
Common traits of men of destiny. Bishop called these his pillar principles. All right? The first is courage, which is the ability to face life and the pursuit of destiny with a steadfast confidence in God and his word. That's the first thing that I'm asking you to commit to as a principle. These, these four pillar principles, we're going to work as a, as a discipleship body to make sure that we get as much of this embedded in our lives so that we become representatives of this. When somebody wants to say, hey, what's the textbook definition of courage? They should be able to put your picture up. Right? And people who don't read this definition should be able to read your life and say, you know what? I know him. He has the boldness to face life and pursue death with steadfast confidence in God and his word. The second is chivalry. Chivalry is to govern relationships by the word of God, especially with women. And not just with women, with people who are less empowered than we are. In, in, the, in the era of Me Too, where women are coming out to, listen, the day of you just dogging sisters out is done. Let's, can we all say amen on that? Okay. Uh, your privilege won't, won't, won't spare you today. All right. Um, but even if it was still um, a thing where society allowed you to get away with it, God never did. It was never cool with God. So we're going to be people who live out where we, where we defend the weak and the fatherless. That's one of the pillar principles of scripture. Like, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Defend the widow. Stand up for the fatherless. Those who don't have somebody who's able to speak for them, for you to have the strength and the meekness, meaning strength under control, to speak on their behalf. Third is ability, to have ever-increasing personal ability enabled by the grace and principles of God's word. Yep, um, some, some people are right with God and not bright with God. They want the love of God, but not the laws of God. They want the person of Jesus, but not the principles of Jesus in action in their lives. We want to be people who know Jesus, but have more of his character and capability in manifestation over time. And I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And that can be in everything from, you know, how I, how I maintain my home, how I interact with my wife and my children, how I work at work, how I support my community, I want every of my, I'm, I'm, listen, I grade myself. I don't know how other people can, listen, if you're not keeping score, it's just pick up basketball. Do you keep scoring your own life? Or are you more concerned about a game than the game that, that determines your ultimate destiny and the destiny of those that you love that are connected to you? Four is substance, substance, to be men of substance, not to be fooled by the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, I'm not getting money to trust in it, but ever increasing in kingdom resources that God can make available to support kingdom projects and to support the destiny of my future generation. Listen, 
don't talk to me, it's just money. Child, please, it's not just money in my hands. Listen, man, when I'm at work, I, I work hard to get the raises they give me. God don't mind, he getting a dime out of every dollar. He ain't tripping. I tell folks, you do what you, you do what I do, then God has to get involved because if he need money to get to your church, he got to help you get some. All right. 12 core principles of men of destiny. Number one, to build enduring Christian families by being examples of love, headship, pattern. That means you stand before your house as a compelling pattern. Provision. That means you're the person that's able to have the resources that they need to to give when they have need and purpose. All right. The Lord told me, you know, my sisters just had some health challenges. He was like, listen. Get on a plane now. Don't make apostles have to do all of this heavy lifting by herself. Your dad's not here, but you are. And guess what? I had the cash to get it done. I ain't mad at nobody, but I just understood that. Now, I could have said, well, man, I don't want to spend that money. When God gave me that money to have so that when that kind of need happened, I could do what needed to be done. All right? Um, that's what we mean. We want men who can be examples of provision when things are needed. Number two, to be a driving force behind the purposes of the church, to seek and save those that are lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to live the abundant life, and to show forth the manifold wisdom of God to the whole world. Number three, to destroy racial and economic barriers with quality relationships such that we model the unity that Christ, that God desires in the body of Christ. And I'll give you all of this, guys, so just know I'll... It, it was, it's real time, but you'll have a handout in Jesus' name, okay? Um, number four, to, to break strongholds that, such that we operate in liberty and successfully pursue destiny. What you don't want to have happen is, you know, you're pursuing destiny, but you got this habit that you didn't deal with while you were small, and then when you get just about to reach it, and, and then that habit snatches you back, and then you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You don't want something that was hidden in your past to rise up and take your future. Number five, to live a life of diligence based on biblical principles. Your pastor teaches a lot of principles, but you got to have a certain regimen on how these things get done in your life. Number six, to learn from others and each other such that we can inherit all of the promises of God. So you come in here and teacher, a teacher can teach, but then sometimes it's not just what I'm saying. It's like, hey, brother, let me help you. Like, like I was real clear and I still hadn't done it yet, but I was thinking to myself, I said, like, listen, you know, I remember when my dad, you know, he sat outside of the window and had me change the tire. He just wanted to make sure I knew how to do it. But I still, but I wasn't practiced enough that I'm fluid. So I said, man. What was on my list of, of to-dos was to take my daughter and, and say, okay, I'm taking you by Deacon Clarence Garage, and he going to teach you some things. And I'm going to sit there and have him teach you stuff so that if you out by yourself, you can do something. Okay? 
Why? Because it's not just what she learned from me. I need her to, there's other brothers that need to pour into her life. My daughter's asking me very good questions. Dad, something happens to you. I need to build some relationships with some of your covenant brothers that you trust. Yeah, baby, you do. Who, who I would trust to speak into your life if I wasn't here. Yep, mm-hmm. Okay? I want us to have a community like that where we trust that you don't have to know it all. Listen, if I know it, then you know it because you know where to get it. Okay, does that make sense? Men of destiny function as a community that way. Number seven, to be visible, inspiring models of service to the vision and leadership of the church. Yep, that speaks on its own. Eight, to be knowledgeable of the word of God such that we can live successful lives based on its principles. Number nine, to be aggressive men of faith, systematically pursuing the promises of God. That's why I'm teaching on the increase of faith, and that's what I'm looking for us to be. Like, listen, there's promises, and they may not have manifested in your life. But listen, if it's the last thing you do, you should go to heaven swinging for every promise you can. Where did you get that from? Hebrews 11, these died in faith, not having obtained the promise, but they were still fully persuaded. The last breath, if they, if, listen, now mark, mark, mark the words. I haven't been challenged on it, but I'm telling you, if they put me on a deathbed, the last thing, the last thing I'm going to say before I go into heaven is, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. That's the last thing I want coming out my mouth. That's the, if, the last word of my life, I want it to be the word of God systematically, aggressively pursuing the word of God and his promises. Tend to be men displaying Christ-like character, relationship, ability, and that we are considered men of a different man, name. So that when somebody says he's a man of destiny, people should look at us and say, man, there's something different about them. They're, they're different. All right? 11, to walk in the wisdom of God such that we can act wisely and personal as well as corporate crisis situations producing constant victory. If you are personally in a crisis that God gives you wisdom, if the church is in a crisis, we can still get victory in it because we know how to behave wisely. And then finally, number 12, to command the attention and respect of the world through our character, service, and substance resulting in men coming to repentance. I want your life to be so compelling that people look at you, not that they come and hear me. And praise God, let them come hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to turn nobody away. I'm asking God to give me visitors. So please, please, I'm not telling you, don't do that. But before they get to this door, I want them to be drawn by to repentance by what they see at your door. Say amen if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I want them to be drawn to repentance by what they see from you. All right, men of destiny, right? We said one of our objectives was to have, um, to start fellowship and teaching around the foundational teachings. So men of destiny, foundational teachings, the objectives of them. Number one is to lay the groundwork of discipleship for a man to begin to develop in the principles of men of destiny, which are courage, chivalry, ability, and substance. Isaiah 28, 16 says, therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. 
he who believes, trusts and relies on and adheres to that stone will not be ashamed or given or give way or hasten away in sudden panic. So you can't be in a hurry to get this done. That's why I say if you're going to pack a bag um, for destiny, make sure it's not an overnight bag because we're going to build a foundation and we're not going to hurry on that. Right. Number two. To start the man of destiny on the road to commitment to the 12 core principles. Three, to create a basis of identification, relationships, and consistent growth. And then four, to assist the man of destiny in understanding his role as, um, as a committed man in the body of Christ. As a, com as a committed man, that's, that's what that word um, should be, a committed man in the body of Christ. All right. Now, um, one, one last key piece of information. So the foundational teachings that we'll start in our next week, um, the core foundation, and these are Bishop's core revelations that he wants to be built in, 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 um, in Men of Destiny um, nationally, is this thing called fist. How's your fist? You're going to fight, man. You got to know how to, how, to, how to get your fist up. All right, what is fist? Well, the F is faithfulness. And that's what we'll be teaching on in our next session, is faithfulness. After that is integrity, right? So once we get through the faithfulness teaching, we'll teach on integrity. Then we'll teach on stewardship. How do you handle the things that God has put in your hands? Faithfulness deals with your adherence to duty, your commitment to staying to a task long after the thrill has gone. Right. So many people get excited on a marriage day, but after the excitement is gone, they are not faithful. OK, so we want to deal with faithfulness. We want to deal with integrity. How are you as a person of truth? Even when it's painful. Stewardship. How do you manage the resources that God has given you? And then finally, trust. How was your faith life with God? How do you trust God? in every, each and every situation in your life.